You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The Portland Trailblazers are bringing in prospects. And getting fans in a tizzy as a who today might take at number seven in the NBA draft. I'm Aaron Fentress. This is the Blazer Focus Podcast. I'm joined by, you're still my main man, Craig Bernbach. Appreciate it. I, hey, I always love doing this with you because it gets me all fired up and jolted for the rest of the day. You just jolt me. But <laughs> we're trying I'm to like give caffeine, a jolt. To this, baby. Yeah, we're trying to give a jolt to this offseason, which is kind of like hit a lull. You know, it's kind of like we had the lottery and the combine, and now there's like this gap. We've got the finals going on. The draft isn't for three weeks. But, of course, the Blazers have a lot going on because they do have the seventh pick. They're going to be in play for either a pick or trade the pick, and then they got offseason stuff going on. So we're going to dive into that today. Uh, let's start, though, with just real quick, the, the workouts they had on Tuesday. It's the first of will probably be a batch of, you know, maybe two or three sessions. They brought in six players. One, the headliner, Dyson Daniels from Australia, played in the G League last year. Uh, 19-year-old, six-foot-eight guy who allegedly can play the one, two, three, or four. <laughs> I say allegedly because until you do that in the NBA, I'm, I'm not going to claim you can actually do that. Um, but he was brought in along with five other guys, none of which I could find on two-round mock drafts. Except I take that back. One guy, <laughs> there, there was one guy I found actually at uh, Julian Champagne or Champagne from St. John's. Would you know St. John's kid? How do you pronounce that? Yeah, no. Don't yeah, know. Okay. Anyway, he is in SI.com's two-round mock draft as the 41st overall pick. But all the rest of the guys, Darius Days out of LSU, Muhammad, Muhammad Gui, Washington State, Fats Russell. I want them to draft him just because his name is Fats Russell not. out of Maryland and Dallas Walden out of Wake Forest. But Daniels was the headliner. Um, I actually talked to him in Chicago at the Combine. Very interesting character. Again, a six foot eight, versatile guy, young, a puppy in many ways, but he has some traits that they like in that he has shooting ability. And of course, defensively is a big deal uh, for uh, Billups. Any player who can play defense, he uh, definitely has a defensive mindset, a mentality to play D. Athletic enough at six eight to definitely mess around with being disruptive to a point guard. He can guard the two and three and maybe the four for a little bit. Although I think in the NBA, if he guarded a four for more than five minutes, he'd get destroyed because he's really skinny, like maybe one hundred eighty pounds. But anyway, the fact that they brought him in means he's definitely on their radar. Uh, he told me in Chicago that he talked to the Blazers there, had a very good conversation with Billups. What's your take? on him and if you see him as a potential target at seven, given that Keegan Murray could be there or Benedict Mathurin or A.J. Griffin or 
Jalen Duran. Yeah, well, I mean, in most mock drafts, he's somewhere between five and ten, so it seems likely. <laughs> um, you know, it's hard. I mean, I don't watch a lot of G League. Uh, and when I say you don't? I don't watch a you lot, you don't have the G League package. I don't, <laughs> I don't watch any G League. I did. Uh, I did cover the uh, North Charleston Low Gators when Ime Doka uh, starred for them in the D League um, in Charleston. So I saw a lot of D League ball back in the day. But uh, uh, yeah, and I didn't uh, see any uh, of his basketball, scholastic basketball in Australia. So everything I read um, is. You know, he fits to what – if you were going to keep the pick, uh, it fits everything that the Blazers need. Uh, he's going to play – he could play the three and possibly the four. Uh, he can handle a little bit, uh, but he's defensive-minded, and he has an upside offensively. So um, it makes a lot of sense if they keep the pick that uh, he might be the guy. Um, I will say that every time I read about prospects, I get super excited and think instantly they should draft that guy. You know, like you just read everything. Like it's like, oh, he's got this. He's got that. Yeah, right. It's ninety percent upside, and then the ten percent of well, he's completely unproven, and also, uh, you know, he shot twenty seven percent from three in limited times. You, you know, and you just write that all off and and uh, and say, okay, that guy's going to be great. Uh, but honestly, I just you know, with prospects, um, it's. You're rolling the dice a little bit. Everyone's reading the same things. They're interviewing the same guy. They're seeing the same tape. And in general, the workouts are very similar because that's who, you know, that's what it is. But as you mentioned, until you see a 19-year-old play in the NBA, um, you don't know. And then even that said, you don't know sometimes for two years. I mean, C.J. McCollum was a four-year college basketball player, came in the league as an adult, and took two years to take off. So um, even there, you don't know what you get right away. Um, but makes sense that they brought him in. Uh, there's an upside there. He's 19, so, you know, for these prospects, he's middle-aged, you know, for the guys <laughs> when you look at him. <laughs> Because they're mostly, you know, 18.3 years old, <laughs> right. uh, you know, so, and he has played against, you know, talented players. Adults, I mean, the G me, League yeah. has, got, has got talent and he didn't yeah. embarrass himself and he's coming off as a lottery pick after playing there for a year. So, uh, understand why they brought him in, um, but uh, not, not conceited enough to be able to tell you that I think this is a no-brainer and that's the guy. Um you know, the guys that I saw play in, in college, you always feel better about. Um, and those are the ones you're wrong about, you know, because that's where you're like, well, that guy was really good. And, and he played against top talent in the ACC or the Pac-12. And um, and then there's the guys that come from different from overseas that you've never seen. And uh, they're all ND, NBA three times by 21. And lead a Mavericks franchise to the you know almost single handedly uh, to the conference finals. So, right. um, you know that's the part of this where the most the people that spend their entire lives watching tape get this wrong. So I'm not conceited enough to to think I could get it right. I know you are, so you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, the worst thing you can do with these prospects 
you, you talked about how you read about them and they all sound amazing. The worst thing you do is watch their highlight reel because in their highlight reel, they look unstoppable. Like they're going right. to come in the NBA and just dominate because it's a highlight reel, right? <laughs> so everything in there is good, uh, which you want to watch, obviously, or maybe cut-ups of everything they did in a game because then you get a sense of, obviously, that they're they're flawed. Um, look, one of my factor fentresses a month and a half ago was that they're not going to keep this pick. And I just... I, for the life of me, cannot imagine a scenario where there's a veteran starting caliber four or three. I think four is their biggest need because they do not have a remotely uh, a guy in the roster remotely close to being a starting four. You have two guys who can start at the three. So if you have two who can start at the three, that means you got a starter and you got a backup. You're good at the three at least. You can upgrade if you can, but you have no four right now. So whether it's Jeremy Grant or John Collins or what have you, you cannot pass up a veteran guy who you think can come in and do the things you want them to do. And that's obviously what Cronin and Billups have to decide for a 19 year old. Like it just doesn't make any sense. It, because you're building still around Damian Lillard. And so if you add a 19 year old to this roster, he's not going to help you very much in the next three years, which are the last three years of his prime. To me, by the time he, Damian reaches 35, all bets are off. We don't know what 35 year old Damian Lillard is going to be because we don't know what's going to happen to him in the next three years. So if a 19-year-old is good enough to come in and be really, really good right away and have an impact on a playoff caliber team right away, guess what? He ain't going to be there at seven. He's just not. Like the odds of that guy being there at seven, astronomical. You're, you're totally rolling the dice there. So for me, I just, if they if they walk away from the draft with this kid, it's, oh, well. Dame's chances of ha- having any shot at doing anything in the next three years are done because they're not doing it with that kid, whoever it is. Mathurin, Keegan Murray, A.J. Griffin, Jalen Duran, doesn't matter. Unless they shock the, you know, those players come in and, and shock the world, which is right, like I said, I, I, but it's, I, well, like yeah. I said, it's, it's anything's possible, but it's literally something that you cannot count on. So, yeah. Let's, let's all, I'm going to go, I went and did some quick, you know, quick research. I looked at the draft picks the last few years from six to nine. Let's just put six to nine range. Josh Giddy, Oklahoma City. What's he doing? Seven, 12 points, eight rebounds. Good. And on a, I know on. Yeah, but he's a, he's triple doubles at times. Yeah. If you got that guy, you'd be, in, he's, that'd be he's, great. No. He shoots 26% from threes. That's he's a not starter. a good defender. He's 6'8", 210. He's small. He played on one of the worst teams in the league. He put up numbers on a garbage team. If that guy, that guy's not in the rotation on a good team. I don't believe he's anywhere near rotation. He shot 42% and 26 on threes. He's going to get his ass kicked on defense. He's not guarding anyone on the perimeter. That's a, a three. That's any good. And he's not banging down low with a four. He looked good on a horrible team. Anyone can, anyone, every player in the NBA can look good on a bad team. We saw Brandon Williams put up some great games for the Blazers, right? But they were losing by 30. And Brandon Williams is going to be the four-string point guard on this team. Now, is it Kaminga? I'm so bad with pronunciations. He he's, he's doing some nice things for Golden State, right? But again, he's playing 17 minutes a game. So he's a role player. Yep. So is Now, obviously, Golden State's one of the best teams in the league, but... Are you telling me that that guy at 19 is coming in? He's going to be an impact four in the next two or three years? I don't buy it. And then, of course, you got Fran, Franz Wagner, 
He's averaging 4.4 rebounds. And Davion Mitchell is averaging 11 points, two rebounds, four assists uh, for the Bad Kings. Again, those guys do not move the needle for what you need with Dame. So we go to 2020. Number six pick. I can't even pronounce this guy's name. Akinwu. <laughs> Okanwu, sorry. He's actually, you know, 6.4 rebounds. He's all right. Killian Hayes for Detroit. A lot of hype around Killian Hayes shooting 27% from threes. 41 or 37% from the field in the second year, averaging seven points, four assists. That guy had a lot of hype in the offseason. I know because I bought a lot of his rookie cards and they tanked. <laughs> Obi Toppin, your boy, your boy, Obi Toppin, 14.7 rebounds. He's pretty solid. That's a, that's a decent get. You know, if you, if you got him, he was 22 and he's, he's, and he's 22, right? But again, he gives you no three point shooting. He gives you no three point shooting. Is he a, oh, is no. he a moved it? To- is he a moved the needle a starter? I mean, 20, what is it, 26%? I'm looking at his numbers right here. I'm just saying. It's it, not- he shot 27%. Or no, sorry, 30, 30.1. So again, terrible. It, 30% good. from three is, is not as bad. Okay, so my point is, though, if he's, if he's your starting four for the Blazers, are you happy? Do you want him over Grant? So I don't know if you do. So I would say this. Um, of the two players you said, um, I'm going to push back on Giddy. I mean, he was a 19 year old. He played point guard at six foot eight. He averaged, you know, six, you know, six assists a game, 11th best in NBA history for a rookie. He averaged, um, you know, 36 minutes a game. He can't shoot, but I mean, that's not a player the Blazers would draft because that they don't need a six eight point guard. Uh, well, that's what Dallas is. I mean, he can so, play the position too. Well, but he, he he considers himself but, he considers himself a point guard. So sorry, Giddy's fine. playing point guard. Yeah, I don't, he, oh, Giddy's a shooting. No, guard. he's not gonna play point. But Giddy can't guard. That's what I'm saying. He's, he he got picked to be Magic Johnson. You know what I mean? Like he's not gonna be Magic, but you know what I mean? Like he's he's that kind of player. He, he's impressive. Um, and in in one year, I think that was impressive. Now, again, that's a rebuilding team. Oklahoma City is thrilled with what they got because they don't have Damian Lillard. So it's a different thing. Uh, Obi right. Toppin, I would rather have, I would be happy with Obi Toppin as a starter right now on the Blazers at the four because uh, they don't have anyone good <laughs> at the four. Well, um, but, but, but that's what we're talking about. We're talking play. about do you want Obi Toppin or do you want a vet? Like, let's just say Grant. Do you, would you have Toppin or Grant? <sighs> you know, I, at $25 million or, you know, there's a little price. I'm fine with Obi Toppin as my starting four. Like he's, he's a solid player. He's only played in the league two years, but he's, he's, he's as probably, you know, he's not that much younger than Jeremy Grant, you know, cause he, he played, uh, you know, he came out at 22. It's ancient. Um, so in two no, drafts, I mean, that's one out of eight. That's one out of eight. That would fit. Oh, no, it's not. I, I'm with you. Okay. I'm now. I mean, you just asked me something separate than the Blazers. The Blazers don't have that choice because they don't have Obi Toppin. Uh, so if they no, have we're Obi talking Toppin, about, no, we're talking, be- no, no, we're talking, no, 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 we're talking about guys who have been available in the draft in the range of Blazers. No, no, I know. And what the percentages are of getting a guy that's going to be better than Jeremy Grant, who's 28 years old, to good. play right away and help your good. cause with Damian. That's what I'm saying. So if we go to 2019, yeah. Jarrett Culver went sixth. Kobe White went seventh. Disaster. Jackson Hayes, that would be a disaster. Rui Hachimura, that would be a disaster. So, disaster. so now we're one of the last yep. 12 taken in that range would be someone you would start maybe over Grant. So that's my point. So you're you're rolling the dice on something. I'm on the trade boat, man. I'm with you. I'd go no, get Jeremy Grant. I mean, yeah, right. absolutely. I just and don't so think the number just... seven gets you Jeremy Grant. And either do oh, you. Oh, absolutely. No, I, 
What? Yeah, heartbeat. You think that just the seven gets you Jeremy Grant? They Okay, so when I was at the combine, I talked with some guys who cover the Pistons. I think this was after we did our podcast. I can't remember. Okay. I can't, we, we might have talked about this in the last podcast. Anyway, I said, all right, we're here. Let's make the deal right now. Let's figure it out. <laughs> so I said, would you take would you take the, whatever, you know, sixth pick, because they hadn't done the lottery yet. Would you take the sixth pick for uh, Jeremy Grant? And both Pistons guys were like, oh, yeah. And I go, do you think the Pistons would? They're like, yeah, they think, they think so. Because they don't think the Pistons want to resign him. So to him, to them... Okay. He's got one yep, year left on his contract. Yep. They don't want to give him $111 million. What are you going to get for him? And if they can get a top 10 pick, done. It was, now, this is just, you know, the, Bla- the, the Pistons writers, but I assume they right. have at they least, you know, a, a, a good guesstimate. So, yeah, I think if you're the Pistons and you're still in rebuilding mode, and you have the fifth pick, you just took uh, Cunningham the previous year, and now someone's going to give me a seventh pick for a guy that if I keep him, I got to pay him $100 million, and he isn't a franchise guy. But to a team that already has a franchise guy, he can fit in what they need. Yeah, I'm taking that seventh pick. Now I got the fifth and I got the seventh pick in this draft to go along with Kate Cunningham. I'm rolling with youngsters. And if I pick well, I could have something going for me in the next couple of years. So yeah, I think the seventh pick could definitely get Grant. I, I wonder if the seventh pick could get John Collins. If Atlanta wants to move off of John Collins in that contract, would they take the seventh pick? They might. I would make both those trades if I'm the Blazers right now. And it might be a disaster because... Uh, you might be only mediocre and Damian might leave and one of these guys could turn into an all-star. But look, Jeremy Grant averages 20 points a game basically the last two years, you know, 22, two years ago, 19 something last year. I mean, that that's, he's a legitimate, you know. Oh, wait, uh, wait, stop the presses. Stop the presses, Craig, in the middle of our podcast. Uh-oh. We got a Woj bomb. Yeah, we do. We got a Woj bomb. <laughs> According to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, Nike co-founder Phil Knight and Dodgers co-owner Alan Smolulinski, God, I'm so bad with names, <laughs> have made a $2 billion plus written offer to purchase the Trailblazers, sources tell ESPN. Discussions are all get ongoing with the Paul Allen Trust that's overseeing seeing ownership of the team story coming soon. So we're going to talk about this. As I prepare a post at that the same huge. time in real time, uh, wow! So we knew we wow. knew this was going to happen at some point. Well, more than likely because it was written in Paul Allen's will, basically that they had to sell the team. Uh, so yeah. Phil Knight, like, really? Does he own the Ducks? <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, this, Let's this, say you this, as this I start team, this post. <laughs> this team's cheaper than that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is, to me, um, a dream scenario if you're a Blazer fan uh, or a member of the Blazers organization. I mean, if you know, Phil Knight has always the, – the word had always kind of been, Aaron, that Phil Knight wouldn't purchase a team because he kind of – the relationships with the leagues, right, with Nike. Now, Phil's no young pup. Uh, what will this mean for Nike? Does this mean he might – you know, step even further away from Nike. I have no idea. I will just say this. Uh, if you were to say to me, who, who would be the ideal owner for the Portland trailblazers to make you feel really good about the fact that you have an owner that, uh, will spend money that understands professional sports and wants to definitely keep the team in Oregon, in Portland, I would have said Phil 
night. <laughs> so <laughs> to me, this is the best possible thing that could happen to uh to the Blazers organization and fan base because there was no sidestepping that the Blazers are going to be sold. I mean, I I said this in the very beginning. People are ignoring the fact that he said this. He's giving away his wealth, and the Trailblazers are going to be sold. Um, the fact that Phil Knight would combine with another, you know, uh, professional sports owner um, is to me fantastic. You know that he's going to get approved, right? I mean, like, there's no. Uh, yeah, how do you say? Yeah, Phil, we're not sure you're qualified to uh, <laughs> right. to handle. Well, prove this. your money. Let's see your financials. Let's see your financials, pal. Right. Selling shoes Everyone out of your van. You think you're going to buy an NBA team? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I can't imagine a better situation. Um, and I think they should do it tomorrow and move this thing along. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I I love the fact that you know there had been talk about an auction and and all that. Uh, this feels like we could remove all that and we can, I mean, come on, the guy's from Portland. He, this is his home. He, he would, he would do the things or at least try to do the things that everyone has wanted. Um, you wouldn't worry about the arena. He would either fix up the motor center or build a new one. He would help out, um, you know, the, the, the Rose quarter. I, his, Talk about you want to get free agents. I think Phil Knight being the owner, like there's some relationships there, right? I've heard. I've heard Nike talks to athletes. Um, he would have a plan for, for all this. And you would not, you would, you would think that the luxury tax wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. You know, it's not the worst thing in the world for Dodgers owners. Their team's paying like $7 billion in salary and they're going to get taxed. Um, so I, I can't imagine a better situation, and um, I think this is amazing, great news. I think it's fascinating that Phil Knight wants to own a team now. Like I, I always kind of wonder because he always kind of made it clear he didn't really want to own a team, right? Because because people well, wondered if he would bring the, a baseball team or an NFL team. What conflict of interest? Yeah, just a conflict of interest, though, Aaron, because of Nike. You know what I mean? Like that whole Why? point. Like if you own the Blazers and you own Nike, the Bulls aren't going to want to do a deal with you, right? You know, they're not going to help contribute money to the guy that's now, you know, going to try, you know, Wait, to, to use that same, those resources against you. So it'll be interesting to see how that moves forward. Will Phil Knight separate himself from Nike or will there be a problem with the fact that Phil Nike. He's already separated himself. Hasn't he? But completely right. Is he? I guess that's where we are then. That there's enough I separation. I, I, still, I guess I don't understand the, the conflict of interest. Explain that to me again. He's just a business owner like anything else. There's a salary cap. Except for Nike has a deal with the NBA for uniform. Oh, for apparel. So for apparel. Right. God, you know, but that, if there's so, enough is, separation, it's not a problem. Yeah, I guess. Well, that's what it was always talk about. You know, especially yeah. when he was active, that you can't. You know, you can't have the company that has the deal with the uniforms also on its team, but the separation is enough now. Um, I mean, look, Phil Knight's not making this deal and this offer uh, and then calling Adam Silver and saying, Hey, what do you think? I mean, if there's a written offer, Adrian Wojnarowski knows it. They've worked through those details, right? Like it's not going right. um, to, unfortunately you and I's conversation about this is not the first one. So, so this is to me, it can't be better news. It means that um, 
Because Phil Knight also, I don't think Phil Knight's a guy that wants to go out there and put his name out there and then not get the team, right? I mean, that's mm. not the kind of guy Phil Knight is. So this has to feel, uh, at this breaking news moment, with 48 seconds to have you know, kind of digested it, I, I can't imagine this not being a beautiful thing. I see no pitfalls. I see nothing right. stopping this deal. I, you know. Unless it's not enough. Well, or if it's not, <laughs> you know, it's, but it will, 2 billion plus is, is close, right? But the, the initial offer doesn't have to be the final offer. Um, and 2 and billion it's great, plus could be 2.9 billion. <laughs> right. That's plus. And, and there could be other, um, and they, you know, I think that that's near the evaluation. Um, look, Phil Knight's not going to, He's not going to try to not make a fair offer, in my opinion. He's gonna, he knows what, what other offers might be there. Phil Knight doesn't seem like the kind of person that goes out uh, to make deals that he's going to finish second on. Um, we know what the sneaker wars have been like. He's won most of those battles. Nike seems to be a dominant apparel, um, in my opinion. <laughs> they've, done, they've done pretty well in the basketball world. And... Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be great. Him, Phil Knight against Michael Jordan. I mean, how, how amazing is that now? You know, the guy that helped build Michael Jordan into, now obviously his play, but let's be honest, Nike was a big part of Michael Jordan's rise. Um, Michael Jordan has a brand under Nike, and now they're going to battle on the court? Oh, I've got so many scenarios in my head. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's great. Um, yeah, I think that this is going to rock um, Portland, you know, the the foundation here of, of people. And we'll find – it seems that Wojnowski would have known that there was going to be a lot of, of stuff here and would have waited until he felt really good about it. I'm going to jump in as Aaron is getting news out there just to piggyback off of what Craig was talking about. Um, I mean, the, the potential ripple effect for what this will mean for the Rose Quarter – um, and enter in North and Northeast Portland. I mean, that's just kind of an, another interesting wrinkle here. Uh, go back in time a bit. You remember the, the whole jump town, <laughs> uh, proposal from Larry Miller, uh, the Nike, former Nike executive and the, uh, who went on to be the Blazers president. Now you potentially have a synergy of, you know, this most important person probably in the Oregon history in Oregon modern history having a role in this vital civic institution that is surrounded by all these question marks of what to do with this land um it's just a very interesting development um and you know as Craig mentioned the the Dodgers are one of the most successful franchises in professional sports right now and they're also not cheap so it's just it's a very interesting um kind of shocking but tantalizing bit of news. I mean, definitely. I agree. I just, once again, this doesn't just come out of nowhere. And so there's so much thought that has gone into this. I think it's amazing that it hadn't leaked before this. That's what's shocking to me is that we hadn't even read uh, that Phil Knight's come up, name come up in, in speculation that felt real. Um, yeah. I, it's not, Purchasing an NBA, any sports franchise takes a while and there's a lot of hoops to jump through. But I mean, having a Portland, I mean, having the richest guy, I mean, I'm going to make this up because I don't know it, but having the richest guy in like Portland history um, own your 
basketball team, it seems like a good thing, right? <laughs> you know, like this is <laughs> there's you know, I mean, like, can you? There's no other. Okay, but but match film. Okay, but, but match film night. Go ahead. With someone okay. else. But let's but but let's let's not act like the last owner was like a pauper. Like he was one of the richest. No, but he's gone. The world, Paul. No, no, I understand that. I'm yeah. just saying that I, I'm not gonna sit here and say, oh my god, the Blazers are gonna, are now gonna be X because Phil Knight and this Dodgers guy owns them. Like I think the last owner tried to do everything he could to make them yeah. great, and there's just certain logistical things that just get in the way of that. I don't know how. Phil Knight fixes those things unless um, he can do NIL deals on the side along with signing people with Nike. Well, I, I will I will say this. I thought Paul Allen was a, a great owner. So Absolutely. Um, so there's this is no disrespect to Paul Allen. I'm just saying Paul Allen, you know, is gone, so there was gonna be another owner. I will say this about the difference between Phil Knight and Paul Allen is that um, Paul Allen didn't he didn't engage with players in that much. And when he did, um, that wasn't, no one came off saying, uh, saying anything bad about, uh, Paul Allen. He was who he was. Um, but Phil Knight knows how to connect and he has recruited so many of these athletes already. Um, there is that part where there's no doubt that Mark Cuban owning the Mavericks, uh, can be helpful at times. Uh, based on his personality and his ability to connect. Now, it might hurt at times. It might. And they, you know, they got Dirk Nowitzki in a great trade and they just got a guy <laughs> in the top 10 draft pick that turned out to be amazing. And and that's why they've been really good. So it's not like um, it's been strictly recruiting um, NBA free agents. I'm just saying Phil Knight owning the Blazers does open the eyes of more athletes to, you know, basketball free agents and top flight players to say, well, I'll, I'll talk to Phil Knight. Absolutely. Um, and I'll meet Phil Knight on the Nike campus and drive on down to, to, you know, the arena. Um, I, I, I think it can't as uh, growing up, I heard many times from my older relatives, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it certainly doesn't hurt. You know, to have Phil Knight as your owner. And that is a more, uh, that connection to, even though Phil Knight is a, um, an older white man, um, that he does connect. Uh, as an older white man, he's connected with more uh, young people of color than most people in the sports world. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like there's connections. Okay. There. Well, you know, I believe when I see it. Should point out that Phil Knight is 84 years old. Just as well, yeah. You know, and uh, you know, P- Penny is is also, I believe, eighty years old. But I mean, their son Travis, the owner of Leica Studios, is in the area, and obviously has has a business in the area. But you don't know what the potential other stuff. But um, he is an eighty four year old man, <laughs> for what it's worth. He looks good though for eighty four. Okay, he looks good. He does. He does. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, there's no doubt that definitely. that's. The other thing is that you kind of thought if he was going to do it, he would have done it already. I think that was some of the mindset that he is in his 80s now. Uh, but maybe he wants to just, you know, chill in his mansion in the area and go on down to watch a team he owns. Like it doesn't – it's not a bad retirement plan. I'd take it, right? I'm good. I'd be good with just – you know, it's like to him, it's like fantasy, just retiring and playing fantasy basketball in a way, <laughs> except it's real. 
I'm just saying, like, hey, you know, ma- he may- maybe lose. Maybe he has thought about owning a team before, but didn't want to deal with owning one in another city. And now all of a sudden, bam, here's one available here. And not that he's limited to any region, of course, but maybe it's more attractive that it's just here. Like it's, you know, three miles from Nike campus or whatever it is, five miles. And so it's like an opportunity. Well, heck, if I'm going to own a team, this is the time to do it. It's right here in my own backyard. Um, I'm obviously familiar with the franchise, familiar with the lay of the land. Now's the time to pull it off. Got nothing else there to do with my money other than get the NILs up for Oregon so they can compete with Alabama and piss off Nick Saban. Other than that, seems like- Yeah, the only controversy I see here, the only real problem I see here is Damian Lillard's an Adidas athlete. (laughs) I think we can get through that. But how quickly- I'm just saying, I, 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 I don't- (laughs) <laughs> that's the one thing that's kind of wild, right? Your superstar is not a Nike athlete. Um, but that's been thought about. So, uh, yeah, I, yeah, honestly, I see this as, again, the best case scenario. Um, and if I'm a Blazer fan, I'm a member of the franchise, um, as a person that lives here and wants the Blazers to be good, I, I think this is Amazing news. And as I touched on and, and Mr. Thien pushed more forward, more eloquently for development of the Rose Quarter, you've got to figure that a guy from Portland who's, you know, knows how the politics work here and how difficult certain things have been, um, that he 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 will navigate this as best as, as someone could and he will want his arena where his team plays to be to be better than the it is right now. You know, he's not going to come in. You know, he's not like, oh, yeah, the Rose Quarter, ah, it's great the way it is. Um, no problem. So you think they build a new arena or just a remodel mo- Moda? I have no idea. I don't know. I don't care. He's what got, he's got do crazy you, cash. Do you think? Do you oh, think? I don't know. I think the Moda needs a remodel inside. It does probably need a remodel. My more concern is what you do at the Memorial Coliseum. I have oh been – I'm still mad that there's not a baseball stadium there. Yep, so ridiculous. I'm, I'm just still ticked Beyond about that. Ridiculous. I have no – Beyond ridiculous. I, I, I don't think it's just – I don't see any reason for that arena to exist in the way it exists right now. Um, I, so to me, when I go to the Moda Center and watch a basketball game or another event – I don't feel that the arena is antiquated or terrible. I think it's still good. I think that, yes, upgrades are always nice and you can do more things. Um, when I go to the Memorial Coliseum, I'm like, God, I love the movie Slapshot. This is awesome. I'm basically <laughs> watching a hockey game from 1979, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, like, honestly, it's kind of like, are you kidding me? Uh, right. I'm not this, and I didn't watch hockey in 1979 but like i said it's like uh it doesn't make any sense to me that that's that exists in that capacity if you want to have a secondary arena uh make it better um if you want to honor uh you want to make sure you continue to honor veterans with a memorial i say i'm obviously i'm 100% behind that i think there's ways to do that better than continuing to let your arena just stay in a state of uh eh at best. So, um, and I'd like to have, you know, restaurants and, a, um, and, you know, 
drinking establishments and other things in that area where families, you know, as a person who now has an almost five-year-old, and I think Andrew could speak to this, wouldn't you love it to be a place that you could maybe take the train there and get off and 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 walk around and spend the, the day and then go watch the game, you know, as opposed to park the car, walk into the arena and leave. Like, I think that it'd be nice to have more stuff down there and it to be uh, an area uh, that feels energized. And I think if anyone can do it, Phil Knight and other rich people that he knows can do it. <laughs> right. Before Okay, before we log off, let's just real quickly touch on, there's a report out there that uh, there's a local business, or not local businessman, but a businessman, I think it's Keith Brown. Jeez, sorry. Yeah, uh, hold on. Let me call that. Sorry. Yeah, Kirk Brown, sorry. Uh, yeah. Billionaire uh, who reportedly is making a bid to bring a WNBA team to Portland. There's been one here before, the fire. That was, is that is that 20 years now? I can't remember when they came and went, but it's been a while. Uh, how do you think um, a WNBA team would, would play in Portland? So again, I think it's all about the partnership with the Blazers and how that would work. Um, so this makes me more excited with the news about Phil Knight. I mean, uh, I think having a WNBA team here would be great. Since I've been here, I've never understood the argument that Portland can't, you know, can't support X. Um, I've seen since 2007 the Portland area support everything, uh, especially when they're good. Um, and the Thorns is a great example of how um, Portland area supports uh, women's sports. Um, UP women's are they profitable? soccer when they're good. Is, are they profitable, so, the Thorns? The Thorns? Yeah. Well, if, if they're not profitable, then nobody's profitable. Something's wrong, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> In that league, right? Now, right. some of that comes down to what you have to pay the athletes. And, and, and I will say the uh, – NWSL has fought hard to, to raise um, salaries, but in the beginning, um, it's not like this anymore. You know, team U- you know, team Canada and team USA paid the stars, so of course the Thorns were able to be profitable. Um, and of course, that stuff about TV money and broadcast money, Aaron, which is a much longer conversation. I don't know why the WNBA didn't do well here in Portland because it's pre two thousand and seven, so. Uh, but I do think the partnership between um, the NBA team and the WNBA team would be huge. I mean, I think that if you present them together, um, which wouldn't be that way if if it's separate owners. Um, but look, I'm always in support of uh, rich people bringing professional sports to a, to any city if they pay for it and seeing if it works. And if it doesn't, the rich person stays rich. So I don't worry about it that much. This guy started a, um, a company called discovery.org, which is now Zoom Info. It's over uh, my side of the bridge now, in, uh, where I am now in Vancouver. Uh, he got out of it, made a, you know, a lot of money. And so he's good. So I say go for it. Um, I would, you know, I'd love to be more involved in watching the WNBA, but without a local interest, I don't often do it. So, uh, but yeah, I think, and it's obviously with a a better, again, if the Rose Quarter was more than just the arena, there would be reasons to go there more. Uh, and a WNBA team would be a great reason to go there. In general, the tickets are less expensive than the NBA tickets. And it's a, you know, it's a great way for people to, you know, enjoy basketball. So 
It's not my money, Aaron. <laughs> you know, so I say rich people buy what you can and bring it, bring me entertainment. Yeah. So the fire were, were here in 2000, disbanded in 2002. So it was only a couple of years. They were not profitable, obviously, but the whole league's not profitable. I don't think profitability yeah. is necessarily the driving force. They're not, I mean, they hope to someday you want to build to that, but with the NBA supporting it, it doesn't necessarily matter if they're that profitable. I do think Portland would, you know, treat the team well and the t- attendance would be solid. I don't know if it would ever become a franchise that would be self-sufficient. Uh, you mentioned a lot of, you know, teams have come and been successful, but my take on the Portland area is that if you're not, I mean, if you're a, a, in a league that's not one of the big four, and I guess we can count soccer as a big five now, those teams have been coming and going for the last 30 years like crazy. Like the list is just really, really long. Um, and so you, you know, but if you have, but those franchises, like either they're going to be profitable or they're out, right? Because they're just not going to survive. Yeah. With the NBA backing it, that's not going to matter as much. So I do think the attendance would be there uh, to at least make it exciting. I think there'd be interest. We see what how popular Oregon basketball has become, although the Oregon brand with the basketball team is a different allure than a pro team, which, you know, just, you know, give it a logo and call it the Portland something. It's not going to have the same impact as Oregon anything. Um, so it would be interesting to see if a WNBA team – WNBA team could be as popular as Oregon basketball? I don't think so. But I think it's great. Like, I, dude, 25, 30 years ago, before the WNBA started, I remember like talking to my friends about how sad it was that these women would be amazing college basketball players. And like, unless they went overseas, it was done. Yeah. And it was like, you're done. And it was just like, there, there's got to be something somewhere for them to go and continue playing. Because imagine peak, imagine you're not even in your prime yet. <laughs> so when you're done with college, you're not even in your prime, and there's just nowhere to go. And just so it was great when the WNBA came came about. It's still out there. It's still growing. Uh, there's more of a push than ever to make to keep it growing. And yeah, heck, bring a team to Portland. Why not? You know, give it a ride, see how it goes. Yeah, and and pay the the athletes more so they don't have to go to Russia. You know, like <laughs> right. I think yeah, I'm not, I mean, I don't even say that as a joke. No, it just I know. sucks. I know. And the exactly best players in the world went to Russia and got paid by you know. Uh, people that not necessarily the uh, the best people at times. Some of them are. I'm just saying though. But um, keep pay them enough so that they play one season in America in the WNBA. And if they can't make the WNBA, obviously I want them to be able to play somewhere else. But yeah, I, I'm excited about. I mean, we just got just great franchise news. Possible WNBA team like being listed amongst a finalist and having a a you know a. a a person who wants to buy a WNBA team, which is great. And now, boom, in the middle of the podcast, we go from talking about, you know, you know, 19-year-old kids that might not play the ever play for the Blazers to Phil Knight wanting to own the team. Now that's what I call great timing. So I would just like to take complete credit for the fact that I'm the one that said, let's do the podcast Thursday at noon. Because I I nailed it. We've never had this kind of experience before, so I'm taking all the credit. You're the man. All right, I'm going to go post. I said, you're the man. (laughs) I'm going to go post some more on this, and uh, we'll let all this settle and everything else settle. We'll be back next week because there'll be a lot more to talk about, I'm sure, regarding this and maybe some other uh, draft prospects making their way to Tualatin. Thanks for listening to the Blazer Focus podcast. Be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating, especially since we know now that Craig is Nostradamus. And... uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> we'll be back next time.